Amen. Well, why don't you turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Uh, we'll continue here in our study tonight in Galatians chapter 1. And um, if you don't know where that's at in your Bible, it is in the New Testament, kind of right in the middle of the New Testament. It comes after First and Second Corinthians. And uh, our series title is Living Life in the Liberty of Christ. As we've gone through chapter 1, we've really seen Paul building his case that there's only one gospel. And he's going to continue with that in our message tonight. So in honor of God's word, I'll ask you to stand. And we'll be reading tonight verse 11 through the end of chapter 1 together. So Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. Kind of coming in the middle of a thought, Paul asks them, do I persuade men? Am I trying to please men? No, I'm trying to please God here. God is the aim of, of what I'm trying to do. And so verse 11 comes in on that thought. He says that if I, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But here's what he's going to say. That's not who I am. Here's who I am. Verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers." But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. That's a pretty big change of life there. <laughs> uh, this is a man who spent the majority of his time persecuting Christians, and now he's preaching that very faith that he once persecuted. And here is the result in verse 24. And they glorified God in me. The title of our message tonight is this, A Gospel Patented Preacher. A Gospel Patented Preacher. Preacher. So may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated and we'll get right into the message. <clears throat> when somebody invents something, it's usually born out of a desire to solve a problem or maybe there's some kind of need they came across and they think that they have just the idea to be able to meet that need. And so they go to work and they do their research and development and they end up inventing this magical creation that solves this problem. Well, once they have invented something, the reality is, is until they have that patented, until they file for the patent and then receive the patent, 
anyone and everyone can just go knock it off and they can uh, make a cheap copycat and they can do their own thing. They can reinvent it, tweak it, twist it, whatever they want to do. But once you receive that patent, that's yours. You own it. And anytime somebody wants to mess with it, anytime somebody wants to reproduce it, if they try to do so, it comes at a pretty hefty cost and a pretty lengthy legal battle. So what's going on here in our text is that Paul is writing to the Galatians because there were some false teachers who had hijacked the gospel. They had copycatted it, reinvented it, reproduced it. And what they were doing, though, is they were actually accusing Paul of stealing and manufacturing his own gospel. And so now you got two people arguing the same thing against one another. Well, who's right here? Well, Paul preached a gospel that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, apart from any works of the law. But what these false teachers were preaching was a gospel that said that, yes, you need Jesus to be forgiven, but if you really want to be accepted with God, Jesus, of course, initiates that salvation and acceptance with God, but you need to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the dietary laws. You need to keep the holy days. If you really want the full gospel, then you've got to keep the law. And so they're preaching this gospel. Paul's preaching his gospel. And evidently they were accusing Paul that when he came and preached this gospel to the Galatians, that he had made it up on his own, that it had been born out in his mind and that they evidently were accusing that he actually had to go back to Jerusalem and kind of confer with them and figure out if the gospel that he was preaching was the one they were practicing. And so there were all these accusations coming against Paul in an attempt to try to win people over to the gospel they were preaching, which is really a gospel of convenience. Because if you keep the works of the law, then the Jews aren't going to come and persecute you and, and life will be easier as a Christian. And so Paul has endeavored here in the first chapter to show them that there cannot be two Gospels. There's not two Gospels. There's only one. And he says, if anybody comes preaching another Gospel, whether it's me or one of my companions or any other man, or if it's an angel come down from heaven that preaches a different Gospel than the one that I gave you, he can be accursed, that it's wrong. It's going to be false. And so he comes and tells them that there's a patent on the Gospel, that it's already owned. It's already bought and paid for. The research and development was actually already done long before the foundation of the world, and they had no business and no place trying to reinvent the wheel in terms of the gospel. It could not be copycatted. It could be knocked off. It could not be uh, rearranged or adjusted in order to solve societal problems in Galatia. Well, in our day and time, there are still all kinds of cheap knockoffs of the true gospel, all kinds that are... Uh, twisted, adjusted, tweaked, bent toward the culture, bent toward what would be more palatable, what would be more receptive. And so there's been little changes that we have talked about and, and we've belabored kind of about this new gospel that's come out in the last 10 years that says that in the end, God's going to just win everybody over. Nobody's going to go to hell, that his love is going to win. And what that is, is that's a gospel that finds salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And that's a false gospel. And so we've talked about all these different, and, and we could say it here in Boulder, that there's a plethora of false gospels here throughout our city. And the attempt is to make it more palatable to the sensitivities 
of a secular world that seeks to cancel any and all messages that go against the grain of culture. What we need to do is we need to remember that there is a patent on the gospel and that its owner is Jesus Christ. And that for us to take liberty to reinvent the gospel or to produce a new gospel comes with a steep cost. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says, If anybody adds to these words or takes away from them, I will take away his part out of the book of life. And then you go to Revelation chapter 22, and Jesus says the very same thing. Do not add to my words. Do not take away from my words. And so for us to try to change the gospel comes at a very strong cost. So what is our role as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, as a New Testament church? What is our role when it comes to the gospel ministry? And what is the greatest need of our culture and of our city when it comes to the matters of the gospel? That's what we want to look at tonight. Paul is at work to show them how he received the gospel and what his particular role was in the gospel. Okay, so what was his particular role? Well, let's just start here that the Apostle Paul was not called to produce the gospel. He wasn't called to come up with it. He wasn't called to establish it by himself or to make it up in his mind. This says in verse 11, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that word certify, it just simply means to make known or to reveal or make a declaration. He's saying, I'm going to clear off a spot here and clear things up. He says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel, and let me just reiterate here, what is the gospel? When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel, and that it is all of grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. And so that's what we're talking about, the gospel message. So he says, the gospel, which was preached of me, is not after man. He said, I didn't get the, go the gospel that I preached to you, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, apart from the works, as found in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. He says, that gospel that I preached, I didn't get it from some man. Some guy didn't show up and just say, hey, let me teach you this gospel. He says, that wasn't it. And then he says, uh, he says in verse 12, for I neither received it of man, so I didn't have a man give it to me, neither was I taught it. And let me just say this, because it kind of doubles up here, that when it says at the end of verse 11, that it's not after man, the, the word after there, it means to, it can either mean up through or down from. That's what after means. So he says that my gospel did not come down from a man, and it didn't come up through a man. He says, I wasn't, I didn't receive it from man. And then he says, neither was I taught it. Somebody didn't have to come and a man anyways, didn't have to come and have to instruct me in the matters of the gospel. Okay, well, if that's true, then where did Paul get his gospel from? Well, he goes on to say this, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does revelation mean? Well, it's our the word apocalypse. It means an unveiling. It means, it means to pull the wraps off of something. And so maybe just to picture what it was is, is that uh, when Paul came to Christ, or when Christ came to him on the Damascus Road, and in the desert of Arabia, as we're going to see, the gospel was under wraps. He, he didn't know anything about Jesus Christ, aside from what he had been told by his pharisaical cohorts. 
And so the gospel for him was under wraps. He didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't understand salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He understood acceptance with God through the works of the law, just like these false teachers were saying. But what he's saying here is, is I didn't have a man come and give me the gospel. I didn't have any man come and teach me the gospel. But here's what he said. Jesus came to me and Jesus pulled the wraps off and he showed me who he was. And he described to me the implications of the gospel. He taught me everything there was to know about it. And so he says that it came by divine revelation of Jesus Christ. See, contrary to the Judaizers and their accusations of him, Paul did not receive his gospel message from man. That's what he's saying. Nor did he make it up on his own. He said, no, to me, it was under wraps and it had to be Jesus Christ who came and pulled it back. And I would submit to you that the Apostle Paul would probably go so far as to say this. If it wasn't Jesus that came to me, I probably never would have believed. He had to do it. He had to show me from the scriptures. And, and, and so uh, and one of the reasons why is really because of of his testimony that he's about to give here. OK, so Jesus, I think this is made clear. Jesus did not task Paul with coming up with a gospel on his own. No, Jesus simply gave it to him. And so his calling was not to produce the gospel. Okay, well, what was his calling then? Well, Paul's going to use his personal testimony to show them how he received the gospel and what he was called to do with it. See, before Paul trusted Christ, he was deeply entrenched in Judaism. Deeply entrenched in it. Look at verse 13. He says, for you've heard of my conversation in time past. The, the word conversation, it means his conduct, his way of life, what his life was like. You know, we might say, you know what I used to be like. That's how we would say it. He's saying, you know, my conversation in time past in the Jews religion, the, the literal word translated Jews religion is Judaism. And so that's Judaism. We know that. He, it, what was his conversation in time past? He says, how that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God. The word beyond measure, it literally means to throw beyond the target. And so there was a, there was a, if you can imagine with me, maybe an archery that you've got the target there and it's set up, let's say right here in the middle of the aisle. And so the target's there. Well, here's what Paul did when it came to persecuting the church. He overshot the target. He went beyond what was demanded even by the religious leaders because he was so zealously passionate for the works of the law, he beyond measure, beyond the target, persecuted the church. The word persecuted, it means to put to flight, to make them run. It means to harass them. If you were to go to Acts chapter 8, Luke is going to record that, that he made havoc of the church and that he hailed men and women and dragged them out of their homes and took them back to Jerusalem and made them stand on trial for their faith in Christ. I mean, he was a bad dude. In fact, the word where it says and wasted it there at the end of the verse, that's the word that means to make havoc of. And so that's who Paul was. He was a great persecutor of the church. He hated the Christian faith. And then it says in verse 14, and profited in the Jews religion above many my equals in mine own nation. That word profited is an interesting word. It's used in the Smith trade, blacksmith that uh, what they would do is have the piece of steel and it's heated up and they would take the hammer and they would they would hammer the end of this steel piece to lengthen it out. And so it means to lengthen with the hammer, to proceed, progress, to advance is what it means, to advance through much pressure, 
through much labor, through much uh, uh, trouble and hardship. What he's saying is, is it didn't, Judaism didn't come easy for me, and yet I advanced past everybody else. I was, I was deeply entrenched, deeply immersed in this specific kind of religious system that salvation and acceptance with God was by the works of the law. He says, that's who I was. Why? It says, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. And so he says that my lifestyle before Christ was that I tried to advance myself in the works of Judaism beyond everybody else. And he would even say I succeeded. He'll say that in later epistles, that he was above and better than them all. And what that indicates to us is one of his downfalls was pride, that he was very proud of his religious system. And so he had this plan to advance himself in the Jewish religion. Well, God had an entirely different plan for him. And that plan was before he was even born. It says in verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. You know what that means? It means that when before Paul was ever born, from the moment that he was in the womb, God said, I'm going to separate and sanctify this man and I'm going to call him. And when I call him, it will be by grace. <laughs> Here's a man who tried to work his way into favor and acceptance with God. And the reality is, is he never found it by the works of the law. And yet he said, God called me by his grace. It wasn't anything that I had done. It wasn't because I was worthy. No, it was because he was gracious. He was willing to save me in spite of the fact that I was a persecutor of those who loved him. It was by grace. Well, what did it please God to do in separating him from his mother's womb and calling him by grace? It says in verse 16, to reveal his son in me. There's that word reveal again. <laughs> that when Jesus came and he, he unwrapped the gospel, he pulled the wraps back. His goal for Paul is that he would take the same gospel that he had received to the Jews, yes, but predominantly, look what he says. <laughs> I guess I got it here in my hands. He says uh, that I might preach him among the heathen. Who are the heathen? That would be Gentiles. That would be those who are not Jews. And so he was separated from his mother's womb to be God's messenger, to reveal Jesus Christ. Again, here it is, that the gospel was completely under wraps to the Gentiles because the Jews completely shut them out, wanted nothing to do with them, no desire to see them converted, no desire to see them saved, thinking they were absolutely zero part of God's plan in this. And so to them, the gospel was totally veiled. And Paul says, Jesus took the wraps off for me so that I could go to the heathen and take the wraps off for them and tell them about who the Savior is, and tell them about how they could be saved and forgiven and accepted with God. See, he says that he was called by his grace to reveal his son to the heathen. See, the gospel that Paul preached was a gospel he experienced. It was a gospel he lived out. Because the truth of the matter is his religious exploits gained him no greater favor and no greater acceptance with God than what the most pagan among them had. And yet what he realized was this. He still needed the grace of God 
And that was exactly what he received. It was exactly what he got. See, there was nothing in his pre-Christian background that made him worthy of salvation. There was nothing that allowed him to earn it, nothing that allowed him to earn his standing as a preacher of the gospel. In fact, he was completely unworthy, and it was only by grace that he was saved. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Listen to this. Paul was deeply religious, but he needed the gospel. Paul was deeply flawed, yet he could be reached with the gospel. See, the truth of the matter is the gospel that Paul preached was good for good, moral, upright, religious people, and it was good for murderers just like himself. He was both. He tried by the works of the law to earn favor with God. And yet while doing that, he was murdering people like Stephen, consenting to his death. And so you have a morally religious upright man who was also a murderer. And either end of the spectrum he was on, he needed grace. And you know what? He found it. He received it. We've got to remember that good people still need the gospel And we've got to remember that the worst among us can still receive the gospel. There's a great balance there. It was according to God's good pleasure and grace that he revealed the gospel to the Apostle Paul. Well, what did he do with this gospel that was revealed to him? If you look at the end of verse 16, he says this, Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Okay, so he says that the gospel was unveiled to me, okay, the wraps were pulled off so that I could pull off the wraps to others, okay? So he's saying, this is how I received the gospel, okay? So what did I do when the gospel was received to me? He says, immediately I did not go and confer with flesh and blood. What does that mean? Well, flesh and blood would obviously be man, okay? The difference between man and spirit. You have flesh and blood. The Bible says, for we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this and wickedness in high places. And so it's a contrast there between man and the supernatural spirit world. And so he's saying, I didn't confer with man with flesh and blood. Well, what does it mean to confer? Well, if you ever watched a football game and you've got the officiating crew and, and there a guy makes maybe a controversial ruling and maybe it, they couldn't tell if it was a catch or not, that we're all watching on TV and you can clearly see the ball hit the ground and you might be screaming that at your TV. The ball hit the ground. Or if it's the Broncos playing, no, he had it in his hands. His hands were under the ball, you know, we might do that. And so this official, maybe he had the back view and he couldn't quite see it, but he thought he saw the ball hit the ground and so he rules it incomplete. Well, then he's unsure. And so what do they do? Well, they get all the other officials together and he says, so this is what I saw. What did you see? And what did you see? And what did you see? And they're trying to see if somebody else from a different vantage point or from a different angle had a different view so they can make sure they got the right call. You know what they're doing there? They're having a little conference is what they call it. That's what this word confer means. The Apostle Paul says that when Jesus unveiled the gospel to him and showed him who he was, that he didn't immediately go to some man and say, hey, let me make sure I got the gospel right. (laughs) Well, why didn't he do that? Because he received it from its author, author. He received it from the one who was the gospel himself. And so because he received it from Christ, he saw no need, no reason to go to another man and just figure out, make sure he had everything settled. No, it was crystal clear to the Apostle Paul. Well, then what did he do? He said in verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem 
to them which were apostles before me. He said, I didn't go to the apostles and try to figure out if I had it right. <laughs> and then he says, what, well, what did he do? But I went into Arabia. Why? Why would he go to Arabia? I mean, there's no Christianity in Arabia yet. It had gone to Judea. It had gone north to Samaria. It had gone to Syria, even in Damascus and in Antioch. And, but, but it hadn't gone south yet into Arabia. At least there's no scriptures that tell us that. Why did he go south? Well, the only thing that makes sense is he went to be with Jesus. <laughs> that he went and Jesus taught him the truth of the gospel and the doctrines of the church because nobody else was in Arabia to go to, and it doesn't really explain much, and you're not going to find this in the book of Acts because Acts is not a biographical account of the Apostle Paul. It's an account of how the Holy Spirit worked through the apostles, and so it doesn't have every detail. We're going to find a lot of things here in Galatians that aren't actually kept in the book of Acts. They're personal testimonies of Paul. So he says, I went to Arabia, and the implication is there that he received teaching from Jesus, and then it says that he returned again unto Damascus, and that fits with the account in the book of Acts that he goes back to Damascus and he preaches the word there. And then it says in verse 18, and after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Well, there he conferred with Peter. It doesn't say that. It says he went to see him. This word see just means to get to know somebody, you know, to reacquaint yourself with somebody. You go to see your family at Christmas. You go to see your family at Thanksgiving. It doesn't mean that you're always going to have theological debates. You may, but it just means this. We're getting acquainted again. My in-laws are here to see us, to see our baby daughter, Jessie. <laughs> Had they ever met her before? Well, maybe on FaceTime for just a couple minutes, but they came to see her. That's literally what it means is that the Apostle Paul, he went to Peter just to see him. He had not met Peter before, never knew him. And so he goes to visit with Peter. It says that he was there for 15 days. But then verse 19, he says, but other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. So he says, I didn't go and have a conference with the apostles to make sure my gospel was correct. He said, I didn't go to Peter for theological discussion. He says, I saw James, but there's no implication here that he had any major theological discussions with him about the gospel either. Verse 20, then just in case some people might be doubting this, he says, now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. He says, as God is my witness, this is how it happened. I didn't go and get my gospel from men. I didn't go and confer with men. No, I was fully confident in the gospel that I was preaching. Why? Because it came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Okay, Cilicia is where Tarsus is. Before he was changed to the apostle Paul, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And so what happened is if you go and look in the book of Acts, is as he preached the gospel in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Jerusalem, that there were people wanting to come and persecute him. And they let, had to let him down by the wall in a basket. And then he went to Cilicia. He went to Tarsus and he persuaded from the scriptures with the Jews there that Jesus was the Christ. And then what happens is Barnabas has been up in Antioch and God's doing a wonderful work there. And people are getting saved and baptized in droves. And he goes over to Tarsus and finds Paul and says, hey, I need help discipling believers. Would you come? And so Paul goes from there back to Syria in the town of Antioch. And he discipled believers there. So this is exactly how it happened. 
And because this is how it happened, verse 22 says this, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. What's he saying there? He's saying nobody in all the churches in the region of Judea had met him. That means that even when he went to Jerusalem, his concern there was not even to go and preach. His concern wasn't there to go and visit all these churches and say, I am Saul of Tarsus. Jesus saved me. Now let me tell you the gospel. Or can you tell me what the gospel is? That's not what he's saying happened. He said they didn't know anything about him outside of verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed and they glorified God in me. See, he's saying, I didn't go there to get my gospel. He's actually distancing himself from Jerusalem to show them that his gospel did not come from the apostles or any other man or from the churches in Judea, but it came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this. I was not called to be a producer of the gospel. I was called to be a preacher of the gospel. Because he says in verse number 16, to reveal his son in me. He says, I was, I was separated from my mother's womb. I was called by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. And then in verse 23, the only thing that they had heard was this guy who persecuted us before is now preaching the same faith that he once destroyed. And so uh, what was Paul's role in the gospel ministry? What was he called to do? Well, Paul was called by Christ not to produce the gospel, but to preach the gospel. See, the, the truth of the matter is, is the sole producer of the gospel, who also holds the sole patents to the gospel, is Jesus Christ himself. See, after all, he was the one who chose from the foundation of the world that he would come and he would give his life a ransom and he would shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that all who come to him by faith in his death, burial, and resurrection might find forgiveness and acceptance with God and eternal life. That's the gospel that he came to deliver. In fact, that was the only salvation and it was the only gospel that ever existed in the mind of God. That was the one that Jesus came and produced. I mean, if we think about it, he died so that we could have life. Uh, he, he was rejected so we could be accepted. He was forsaken so we could be forgiven. He was bruised so we could be healed. He was broken so that we could be fixed. He was accused so we could be acquitted. He was punished so that we could be pardoned. That is the gospel that had changed the Apostle Paul's life. And it was the gospel that, that, was, that was done uh, not, not because we were worthy, not because we were deserving or because of our own righteousness. No, here's what Jesus did. He did everything that we couldn't do to make us everything we shouldn't be. Accepted, adopted, reconciled, justified, forgiven uh, we we were uh, sanctified and we were glorified one day we will be glorified with him and all that jesus accomplished everything that he made us to be that we shouldn't have been it wasn't done because we were worthy or because we deserved it no it was it's not by works of righteousness which we have done but by his mercy he saved us it was all of grace that all the glory would belong to jesus christ 
See, that kind of gospel that, that Paul preached is the gospel that doesn't need to be changed, that doesn't need to be updated, that doesn't need to be adjusted because it's already patented and it's already taken to the bank and it is sufficient. It's everything that we need. See, that kind of gospel that could bring that kind of change to that kind of man is sufficient for every single person on the face of this earth. I mean, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul, he was, the gospel that he had preached was the one he had experienced. It was capable of taking a man who was a zealous, uh, a zealous Jew, religious man who relentlessly persecuted the church of God and, and murdered Christians. It took a man like that and it made him an apostle of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus would use to spread the gospel that he once destroyed throughout the Roman Empire. And, and so he would go and he would also write the vast majority of the New Testament scriptures. I'm telling you, if the gospel like that could bring that kind of change to that kind of man, then who is there in our town that it can't bring the same change to? Who is there in this church that the gospel can't bring the same change to? See, it can change anybody who's been enslaved to addiction. So I'm thinking about, about the kind of culture that we live in, and there's a large homeless population here, and there are people who are suffering from severe PTSD because of their military experience or because of traumatic experiences in their lives, and they just feel like they're in the pits, and so they turn to drugs, and they turn to alcohol, and they turn to other forms of, of addiction, and they end up on the streets, and their brains are whacked out because of everything they've been pumping into their bodies, and they waste away their life with alcohol each and every night, and the, the reason why they do all those things is because there's something they're longing for something that they can't find something that they haven't been able to discover yet and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel that was capable of taking a murderer and making him an apostle is the same gospel that has the power to take a drunkard and make him sober to take an addict and set him free he can change anybody from any situation I'm thinking of, of university students up on the hill that are in their frat house Houses and their sorority houses, and they spend the vast majority of the nights of the week. They, they go to school in the morning, and they study in the afternoon, and they might have a job, and then they party it up at night, and, and they, they get drunk, and they get all high on drugs, and then they end up behind closed doors just committing all kinds of immorality, and they're looking for satisfaction, and they're looking for fulfillment in everything that leaves them empty at night, wondering, is this all there is left to it? But I want to tell you that there's a gospel who can take them and show them the glory of Jesus Christ and that there is a Savior who can be everything that they need. And there's a Savior who did everything it took to make them everything that they shouldn't be. And they too can find acceptance with God and forgiveness and eternal life. How? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who are suffering majorly right now. And we know some of them as a church that are struggling deeply in their souls. And they're looking at the gospel and they're saying, it hasn't made the difference. It hasn't done what I thought it would. The gospel will do it if they'll trust it, if they'll stay faithful to it. Listen, the gospel transforms and changes people. It can be somebody who's changed their gender in hopes of finding acceptance. And yet when they did that, they didn't find it. And it's making them suicidal right now. That's the side that the media doesn't tell you. That's the side that our secular culture doesn't tell you. 
Just read in a news story today that a young girl, uh, I think a 14-year-old girl, attempted suicide after her school and her teachers behind her parents' back pushed her because she didn't, wasn't sure if she wanted to be a boy or if she wanted to be a girl, and they pushed her to transition. And it just messed up her mind to where she attempted suicide because of it. There are some who have been taught and brought up in the school system and maybe in their own homes that they were just born this way. And now they think there's no hope and that they're trapped. But what I want to tell you is if you go to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to say that, that some of them used to be that way. But they had been washed. They had been sanctified. They had been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And I'm just trying to tell you that the gospel that we have received from Jesus Christ is still capable of doing it today. But I also want to say this, that there are some other people in our community like Paul that are good and moral, upright people. There are good fathers in Boulder. There are good mothers in Boulder who love their kids and care for them. There are people who have not committed adultery against their spouse. They have been faithful to their spouses and, and they work a job and they work a good job and they do their best to, to, ha to do the best job that they possibly can do where they work. They obey the traffic laws. <laughs> they, they don't speed. They stop at all those pedestrian yield places instead of trying to race through them before the pedestrians get there. They follow the law and everything to a T, and they have great intentions with the policies that some of our officials might put in. They have great intentions. I believe that many of them do want to protect people. They want to make life better. I do believe that. And so there are good and moral upright people. I don't want to paint a wrong picture to you that say that everybody that doesn't know Jesus Christ is just a filthy, rotten drug addict, because that's just simply not true. There are good people here. I've met them. And yet the Apostle Paul was a good man. He was a man who kept the law of God to a T. He dotted every I. He crossed every T. He made sure he was doing everything, not just the way the Old Testament law said, but according to the traditions of the fathers as well. He followed everything to a T. And yet, you know what he came to find when he compared his righteousness to Jesus Christ? He realized my righteousness are nothing but filthy rags. And I, too, need a savior. And I, too, need grace. And he found grace in the eyes of Jesus Christ. I want to say that the gospel that we preach is capable of reaching the worst of sinners and it's capable of reaching the best among us. Why? Because it's sufficient. Imagine where your life would be today if you were without Christ. I grew up in church. I grew up in a preacher's home, a godly preacher's home with great parents. I'm not just sucking up. I'm being genuine there. I really did. But you know what? It didn't mean I was saved. I needed grace. In fact, there are many preachers, kids, that struggle their whole lives with their salvation. And the reason why is because they grew up following all the rules and following all the regulations. And they could come to a place where they think they're good enough and they're righteous enough. But what we learn from here is that even preachers' kids need grace. Kids who grow up in church, my kids are going to need the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful my daughter Jenna has found the grace of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What this means is we don't need a new gospel in order to figure out how to live a life that pleases God 
and is acceptable to God or to be saved. Rather, we just need a better understanding of the one we already have. You know, we've, since the starting of our church, we've invested quite a bit in our live stream equipment. But you know what? That's kind of beyond our pay grade and our understanding. We don't have those tech degrees. You know, I've, I've, everything has been self-taught and it's been self-miserable as well. I mean, we, we could buy all these cords and we bought this nice equipment. We haven't gone on the cheap end. We have a nice camera. We have a nice computer. We have a very nice sound system that, that other churches have paid for. And so we've tried to use, use the money to get the best equipment to put out the best production out to a world in Boulder that really cares about quality. Okay, they do. And so we've tried to do that. So we've got the whole system set up. But you know what? These first six months, it's just been like one thing after the other hasn't worked. The music hasn't worked. The Internet's not working. The stream feed is going down. It's lagging and it's the, the lights go out. I mean, we just got so much going on. And you know what's easy to think? This junky equipment is not working the way that I think it should. It's not doing what I think it should. So you know what I think we ought to do? There's a little trash can out on the, the east side of the building. I think we ought to take those screens and take that computer and take that big hefty box and these thousands of dollars of equipment. And let's just throw the whole system out the window. Start all over with a new system, right? Well, no, the reality is this. What I need to do, what I have done, is spend some time on YouTube. Read some articles. Watch some church tech guys. I've watched a lot of church tech podcasts. <laughs> and so I, I need to do a little research. Yvonne's got to do a little bit of research. And so what I'm trying to say is this, is just because the system's not working the way that we expected it to, doesn't mean we need to throw the system out and come up with a new one. No, we need to understand it better. See, there are people, there are Christians Bible-believing Christians. We've had some in our church already. Not in here tonight, but we've had some in our church who have, who have said this. You know what? It just hasn't worked the way I thought it would. Things haven't gone. I, I haven't experienced the life change that I thought would happen. The, getting saved and trusting in Christ hasn't removed all the problems out, out of my life. In fact, I've got more problems since I got saved because now nobody, none of my friends want to be around me anymore. It hasn't solved my loneliness. It hasn't solved my understanding of life. It hasn't solved the oppression that I've faced. It hasn't solved the abuse. It hasn't solved the depression. It hasn't solved the, the stress that I'm under. It hasn't solved my disorders. I mean, I thought when I'd get saved that it would just take all my problems away. And when it doesn't, you know what happens more often times than not? They take the whole system of the gospel and just start all over with a new religion, a new denomination, a new Bible version, new friends, find new family. And they're just constantly going from place to place to place, hoping that one day they'll throw out the right system and install the right one. That's what they're hoping for. But the truth is this. If the gospel hasn't yielded in your life what you expected or what the Bible even teaches it should, we don't need to throw the gospel out. We need to understand it better. That's how a church can help you. That's how the word of God can help you. 
That's how discipleship, oh, we're going to talk about that here in a couple weeks on Sunday mornings. We're going to talk about baptism on Sunday. That's how baptism can help you. That's how discipleship can help you. That's how ministry training can help you. That's how serving as a Sunday school teacher for kids can help you. Why? Because it gets you in the Bible learning more about Jesus so that you can teach some little kids about Jesus. And you know what that'll do? It'll strengthen your faith and you'll realize this. No, I never needed a new gospel. I just needed to better understand the one I already have. And then you'll come to this conclusion. Jesus is enough. I don't need the works of the law to live a life that's pleasing to God. I don't need a new Bible. I don't need a new gospel. I don't need a new range of teaching. No, what, what I've got contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was sufficient to save my soul, and it's sufficient to make me whole, <laughs> to complete me, make me a new creature. Oh, man, there's so much in the gospel and there's so little we understand. There's so little that I understand as a preacher. And a guy who's gone to Bible college for four years and grew up in a preacher's home. You know, I'm realizing every time I come to the word of God, specifically here in Galatians, and study its truths, the more relevant it is and the bigger difference it makes in my life. And it can do the same for you as well. So the greatest need of our day is not to produce a new gospel. Is to preach the one we receive. You might say, oh, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. And by that, I mean, you don't have to stand behind a pulpit. You don't have to wear a suit and a tie to preach the gospel to somebody. You don't have to do it in church. You don't have to do it in a formal setting. No, you could just invite a neighbor over, sit down on the couch, have some tea, have some coffee together and just say, let me tell you about my Jesus and the difference he's made in my life. And you can go to a complete stranger on the streets who's homeless and down and out. And you can say, you know what, I'm pretty down and out myself physically. But I tell you, I'm the richest person in the world spiritually. Why? Because I have Jesus. And I want you to know this. He can fix all this that you're dealing with if you'll come to him by faith. I'm just saying this. You can take the message of the gospel. We've got some tracks out here in the foyer that have the message of the cross on it. And you could go and you could just read through that and explain to somebody what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and also show them, even from a little piece of paper, how they can be saved. You can refer them to our website. It's got a video on there that explains the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross. I'm just trying to say this. We don't need to produce a new gospel. We just need to preach the one we have. And that's what Paul wanted them to understand. And what we can realize today is this, that the message of the gospel, simply put, is this. There are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. So what that means for us today is as long as there are sinners, are there still sinners today? Oh, yeah. This church is full of them right now. <laughs> as long as there are sinners, they will still need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And that makes the gospel message as relevant today in Boulder County as it was in Jerusalem for a bunch of moral religious people and as it was for people in Syria and Galatia and throughout the Roman Empire where their cultures were much more reflective of the type of one that we live in today. The gospel is sufficient for forgiveness and for a life that pleases God if we'll trust in it. Father, we